0: Recording. Um, so welcome to um the next uh episode of our podcast uh the Maradiya show where we are meeting people where they are uh, I am your host uh, Shadid Muhammad, and uh today's uh discussion uh we'll be talking about stereotypes stereotypes in, uh, about marriage. And uh, unfortunately, some of these stereotypes, especially in the Islamic community, uh, prohibits us or creates reservations about marriage. There are many young people right now who are not married and who are very apprehensive about getting married um, due to some of the stereotypes uh, that have been spread in the Islamic community. And, um, unfortunately, um, these stereotypes have, um, we have given, sometimes we have given legitimacy to some of these stereotypes. So today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to deal with some of these, um, stereotypes and to see whether or not they are legitimate or just figments of our imagination, uh, or sometimes exaggerated unnecessarily in, in our communities. So, for those of you who would like to um join in on a discussion um i have um I have what is called zoom zoom is a an app that you can download um if you have um a smartphone, you have a tablet or you have um a laptop and you want to chime in on the discussion. you can actually see me I can see you. And you can unmute your mic, and we can actually have a discussion. Uh, you can go to Zoom, download Zoom, find Shadi Muhammad on Zoom. Uh, the uh, the type uh, the the title of the talk is stereotypes about marriage, and the code uh, to log into the Zoom room is six two four six seven four three 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 zero. That is six two four six seven four. If you would like to chime in on the discussion, inshallah, we're going to talk about some things that um, some people may have some experience with. Some people may have, you know, um, some information that they would like to share on that particular topic. All right. So the first um, stereotype that I want to deal with, um, and you guys, if you want to type in, you can type. If you want to go to Zoom, Uh, Then you can go to Zoom and we can converse there. Um, The first stereotype that I want to deal with today is um, I don't want to marry someone who has children. You have many brothers and sisters who uh, say to themselves, I don't want to marry someone who who doesn't have children Um, or I don't want to marry someone who has children. That is a huge stereotype. And the reason for a lot of uh, this particular stereotype, a lot of times is rooted in um, what marrying someone who has children comes along with. It comes along with responsibility, number one. All right. If you marry someone who has children from a previous marriage, that comes with a sense of responsibility. Right. You don't just get to marry the person without taking on the responsibility that comes along with marrying someone who has children. So some people don't want the responsibility. Um, and then some people um, don't want to marry someone who has children because they feel that um, possibly those those children um, have a father or have a mother. And the father or the mother of those children um, is going to bring some unnecessary drama into their relationships. And sometimes that does happen. Sometimes that does happen. Um, but that's not everybody who has children from a previous marriage. And so the stereotype comes in when we say, I don't want to marry someone who has children because I don't want them bringing that drama into my marriage. The, the, the baby daddy drama, the baby mama drama. And, um, honestly, realistically, as Muslims, we need to change that language. This whole idea of baby mama, baby daddy um, in Islam, we don't have baby mothers and baby fathers. We have ex-spouses. We have ex-wife, ex-husband, and we have co-parents. That's what we have. We don't have baby daddies and baby mamas. We we bring that pre-Islamic culture of ratchetity, right? Uh, that pre-Islamic culture of ratchetness, we bring that into Islam. And we need to, you know, honestly leave that where it is because what we do is we bring that into Islam and it doesn't allow us to, you know, to acclimate ourselves to the culture, right? The, the culture that Islam is bringing to us, all right? It doesn't allow us to, you know, to cultivate that and to nurture ourselves based upon the culture that Islam gives us. Um, It is solely, you know, I'm going to bring, you know, what I was accustomed to and I'm going to bring it. We don't have baby mamas and baby daddies in Islam. What we have in Islam are uh, we have uh, ex-spouses, an ex-wife or ex-husband or we have co-parents or we have co-parents. All right. So here again, if you would like to chime in on the discussion uh, you can go to Zoom, download Zoom on your phone, on your smartphone, on your laptop or your computer, and you can type in the code uh, 624-674-3330, um, and you can log in, and uh, we can converse further if you would like to contribute to the discussion. Uh, Periscope is kind of limiting because it only allows you to type, so if you would like to type and you feel more comfortable typing, uh, please feel free to do so. Okay. So this whole idea I don't want to marry someone who have children. And and I know that many of you listening right now have at some time at some point or may hold this belief right now. What I want to do is I want to crush the stereotype. All right? And that to make sure that um yeah, but uh, if if it um if I take calls on Periscope, I don't know how that's going to um I don't know how that's going to affect it. I didn't even know that that exists. Um, uh, I'll try it uh, maybe later on today and see how it works. And then we'll use it again uh, when we do our discussion on Wednesday, inshallah. Um, MashaAllah, that's good. I didn't know that. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I'll try that, inshallah. All right. So the... um, The... um, the stereotype. What I want to do is I want us to have preferences because you can choose to say, well, I don't want to marry someone who has children. All right. And that's a preference. That is a preference. And you are entitled to your preferences. Um, However, make sure that your preferences are not rooted in stereotypes because that's when it becomes problematic. When your preferences are rooted in stereotypes then that's that becomes problematic because they are they are not they're not preferences that are based upon your own personal you know desire to have this or to have that. It's based upon what information outside information is being fed to you. All right, what outside information is being fed to you? Um, so let's look at it from an Islamic standpoint. Um, is marrying women who have children is that something that is encouraged in Islam? Um, yes, it is. Um, the Prophet ﷺ, Um he didn't necessarily, in so many words, encourage men to marry women who have children, but we know that the Prophet ﷺ himself, um, there was only one woman that he married, uh, or, or actually two women that he married that did not have any children prior to him marrying them, and that was Khadija and Aisha. Um, most of the women that he married had children from previous marriages um salama uh, um habiba all of these women that he married many of them had children from previous marriages all right and uh, um so that that set a precedent for us in our religion that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did marry women who had children from previous marriages um and vice versa you had women who married men uh who had children from previous marriages all right Um, And so for them, for for that, the the early Muslim community, that wasn't an issue. Obviously, you got to pick and choose. We're not just saying, I'm going to marry. I'm just looking for somebody who has children from a previous marriage. No, I mean, obviously, you're going to be selective about that. All right. Obviously, you're going to look at the relationship between if it's a woman, you're going to look at uh, the relationship between that man and his, you know, his children from his previous marriage to see how he interacts with those children to see his relationship with the mother of those children, his ex-wife, all right? You you want to see how they parent, exactly. You want to watch and see how they parent first, all right? So that, as I said before, you want to make sure, because this is the person that you're going to be co-parenting with, and you want to make sure that your parenting styles are in sync, all right? Um, so you're not just marrying anybody that has children. We're, we're not doing that, all right? But if i'm going to marry someone who has children then i want to make sure that i understand their parenting style i understand their relationship with you know the their ex-wife or their ex-husband all right you you also don't want to walk into any drama because there are some people who have children from a previous marriage that bring drama yes absolutely absolutely and unfortunately um sometimes that that situation can and it can go both ways it's not just brothers who have you know children from previous marriages with women that are drama queens is not just you know brothers it's sisters as well sisters as well you know so it's it's you know sometimes sisters you know were <laughs> married to men previously, and then you know he goes on and he and this is very classic in the Islamic community that a woman is married to a man um they have some children together um they divorce. Uh, He moves on with his life because he's free to kind of move on with his life, right? This is the double standard in Islam. He's free to move on with his life. He goes, he remarries, he marries somebody else, whatever the case may be, and moves on. Meanwhile, he's still micromanaging his ex wife from where he is. And, you know, I don't want no other man around my kids, you know, yet you can marry another woman with children and you around somebody else's kids, and, you know, you don't have any restrictions as it relates to that. Yet, your ex-wife cannot marry someone else and have another man around your children, yet you can be around another man's children without, you know, like you've never even conversed with the father of those children. You've never, I'm always amazed at that, you've never had a conversation with the father of those children, right? The father of those children, of the woman that you are married to currently, you've never had a, conversation with the father of those children yet you can say you know with a straight face i don't want another man around my children but yet you are around another man's children without you know speaking with that man and without you know familiarizing yourself with that man like where's this double standard coming from so the you know you're micromanaging the woman from afar you don't you know moved on with your life and yet you're still making threats to the ex-wife i don't want another man around your children the moment you get married i'm taking my kids and you know and so now the woman is under this constant threat that if i remarry you're going to take my children from me right I, i mean like where do we find like subhanallah like what part of islam is this that that is what i am confused about Uh, We just really need to make a distinction between what is Islam and what is not because that is not Islam and it doesn't matter how old the children are how young the children are the child could be breastfeeding and you'll have men that say well when you get married I'm taking my kids but the child is breastfeeding dude like you're going to take the kid so who's going to breastfeed the kid your current wife. Your current wife is going to breastfeed, you know, the child of another mother, another woman. Like, does that actually make sense to you? I mean, play that back in your head. But this is what happens. So, um, the woman, the moment she remarries, now this ex-husband comes into that relationship to create fitna, to create problems, um. You know, so brothers are kind of reluctant to marry sisters who have children out of fear that I'm going to have to deal with your ex-husband, the father of your children. Um, And let me just say something as a man. In some instances, yes, you are going to have to deal with that. That comes along with being a man. We want a smooth ride all the way through. We don't want no drama, no problems, no nothing. So we think that marrying a woman that does not have children, you know, is going to afford us an opportunity to have a smooth sail in in our marriage. You're going to run into fitna and drama no matter where you go. I mean, like there are tons of men that I know personally who married women who have children. And at the beginning, the, the child's father, there was some, you know, might have been some friction. Might have because this we're talking about men, right? We're talking about lions. We're talking about alpha males. We're talking about masculine energy, right? Two men sharing, you know, the same space. You know, it's unheard of. So eventually... You're going to probably bump heads at some point. And this is especially true if men have not reconciled their feelings with the situation. See, what happens a lot of times is that men divorce women, but they still have not processed the divorce. All of the nuances, all of the intricacies of the divorce. So you told the woman your divorce, you know, I'm putting you in IDDA. And that sounds real cool at the moment, right? It sounds real cool to tell your wife you're divorced. And she, meanwhile, she got three, four, five, six, seven children of yours. And you can just say very callously, you're divorced. This is over. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this situation. That sounds very cool at the moment. But then there's some other intricacies of that relationship that you have not processed. And that is seeing your ex-wife happy with another man. Some men cannot handle that. <laughs> That's a fact. There are some men that cannot handle that. They can handle seeing her as a single mother, right? They get comfortable with that. Seeing her as a single mother, seeing it, seeing her struggle through it, begging him for money, and they're comfortable with that because that gives you this sense of superiority, right? But then when another man comes into the picture... And, you know, she's now finding happiness with somebody else. That is something that many men cannot handle. All right. The ego kicks in. Right. The insecurity kicks in. Not just ego. Insecurity. All right. Especially if the man is treating her better than you treated her. Especially if the man is more financially stable and is able to handle her financial affairs better than the way that you handled it. You understand? Now it's a problem. Now you want to start micromanaging the situation from afar. And it's not fair. It's not fair. And the same thing with women. You have a lot of women who, you know, I want a khula. I want out of this. And it sounds cool. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something. Um, It sounds cool at the moment when you say, I want a khula. When a woman says, I want out of this situation. This situation is whack. I'm done with this. I want a khula. Let me go, brother. Right. One of those sisters. Right. Just let me go, brother. Right. And that sounds really cool. You sound very professional. You sound very educated. You sound like you got all of your ish together. You sound really good. But then when you haven't processed the entire situation, once you see that man marry, marry somebody else. And you know, I don't want her around my kids. I don't feel comfortable with her around my kids. You know, it's like, uh, but. You know what I mean? Like, this is the situation. Like, what did you expect? You, ex- you expected him to be single forever? You didn't expect him to remarry? You didn't expect that there was going to be another woman around your children? And so now we start to micromanage, you know, um, well, you need to bring them home at this time. And if they're not at that home at this time, you have women who have called the police on the biological father. Because they did not have the children at home the time that they wanted them home, and it, yes, it can get very toxic. But if the person that you are marrying, you believe that they are there's value in them, you believe that they, they have worth, they bring something to the table. Is that not something that is, you know, is, is worth going through? Or, or we want it all without any, you know what I'm saying? We want it all without any problems, without any drama, without anything. Someone said when we are seeking spouses, we should inquire what steps they have taken to heal from the traumas of previous relationships to gauge their emotional well being. Coming into a new relationship, this will help to identify a lot of these issues ahead of time. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. But. That's easier said than done, because when we're at the table during the sit down, a lot of people are not concerned about, you know, what your relationship was with your ex. How have you healed from that? How long ago was your divorce? Many of us don't even care about that, because at that moment, we want what we want. Instant gratification, immediate gratification. And it gets us every single time. How many people are at the sit down table with someone who just got out of a relationship and still marry them anyway? It's like, how long you been divorced? Oh, six months. Yeah, but we were divorced a long time before that. You know, it's like, uh, okay, but you just finalized your divorce six months ago. Which means that it was really three months ago because her period was three three menstrual cycles, three months. So really the divorce wasn't finalized until actually three months ago. That means 90 days ago. And you're at the sit-down table again. (laughs) Again. And, you know, we're not giving ourselves time to process. Because all of that stuff that you stuffed in that bag, you are going to begin you know, that baggage is going to begin to expose itself the moment your spouse remarries. See, we think that when I remarry, I'm over him or I'm over her, right? That's what we think delusionally. We tell ourselves when I remarry, I'm over this person. I'm done with that person. But we really don't realize is that All of the stuff that we are suppressing, that we think that we're over, will expose itself the moment our new spouse, right? The moment our new spouse either triggers us or our ex-spouse remarries. You understand? That's how we get triggered. And yes, it is indicative of the fact that the person has done no work on themselves, no self-reflection, no healing, no processing, no unpacking, no nothing. You haven't done anything. You just tell yourself, I need to hurry up and get over this situation and I'm going to jump into another marriage because you believe that going into another marriage is the best way to help you forget about the previous marriage when it, in fact, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yes, the rebound marriage is your next divorce. Absolutely. It's not your next marriage. It's your next divorce so looking at the early generation of the muslims uh the prophet sallallahu he came across a young man by the name of jabir ibn Abdullah. jabir ibn abdillah abdullah his father abdullah ibn haram was very close with the prophet sallallahu wasallam i believe he died during the battle of uhud and um so the prophet sallallahu wasallam used to always see jabir and always inquire about his well-being how huh? he was doing and things like that so um, he says to Jabir one day, "Hal tizawaj, Did you get married?" And Jabir said, "Yes." And the Prophet wasallam, asked him, "Did you marry a, a bikrun kanat am Did you marry a virgin or did you marry a matron? Did you marry a, a virgin, someone who was never married before, or did you marry a matron, a woman who was married previously?" And Jabir said that I married a matron. So the prophet was, you know, kind of confused because in that culture, a young man usually doesn't go after a woman who was married previously. All right. A young man usually doesn't go the young men usually go after young women. So he, the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inquired further as to why Jabir did that. And he asked him, you know, um, uh. Why didn't you marry a virgin? Why didn't you marry a young girl? That you could play with her, she could play with you. You guys could be immature in the situation and grow together. Why didn't you marry a virgin? And Jabir said, because my father died leaving behind nine sisters. I had nine sisters. He said, and I did not want to marry a young, inexperienced woman who would be no help. To me in raising my sisters, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Khairan like you, you—that was a good decision, good choice. The Prophet, you know, validated that. You know, like that's a good—you made a good choice. The the point that I'm making with this is that this whole idea, this whole stereotype, right—that I'm—I I'm, don't want to marry someone who has children. You should be. Uh, uh weary of saying that if you are someone who has children because if if you don't have if you have children right whether male or female you have children and then you go and you marry someone who does not have children how does that impact your relationship in a negative way how does that impact you how does that become an obstacle for you that you put in your own way all right we get in our own way looking for, you know, this gratification. If you have two or three children from a previous marriage and then you marry someone who does not have any children, what type of challenges are you setting yourself up for? Number one, um, the other may start to feel like they are being you know held down or being forced into uh, a father or mother role when they're not ready to do that, right? They have to be a stepmom or stepdad before they're actually ready for that, all right? And provided a man might sit with a woman and understand like, okay, she got kids, but those children have a father. So I don't necessarily need to provide that, that, that paternal you know, experience for them because they have a father. They, their biological father is alive. He's still actively involved in their lives. So don't really need me. I'm just the husband because those kids have a father, right and i've I've counseled situations where brothers have felt like that that I married this woman, she has children, but those children they're biological fathers in their life, so I don't necessarily need to be the the give them that paternal experience right right so the male or the female, the woman, the husband or the wife that comes in that has no children may feel like. I don't necessarily need to be in that role. I don't want to be in that role. I just want to be married to you. All right? Number 2, as someone just mentioned that you begin taking time away from being insensitive to the time that that parent needs to spend with those children. All right? Dealing with child nuances, you know, the the jealousy between the children, you know, the bullying between the children and you not wanting to be directly involved with that. There are are a lot of challenges that you put put into your... Let me say another thing. If you you have children from a previous marriage and you marry someone that does not have children, what you might end up doing is forcing your new spouse to hurry up and have children because they want to feel like they are a part of you when they are not actually ready to have children. They see you with two or three children from a previous marriage and they're like, well, I want to hurry up and have children with you too, right? What's the stepmother's role when they already have a mother? Is To be the stepmother. <laughs> they spend more time with, y- with you, the stepmother, than they do sometimes with their own biological mother. Your job as a stepmother is to be maternal. <laughs> that's your job. Your job is to be maternal. That's your job. To provide them the maternal support that they need. That's, that's your job. But you can't marry a man who has children and then just, and then obviously you don't want to superimpose, right? You want to let the biological parent dictate how far, how not so far they want you to go because you might impose, or I'll take them to the masjid. And, you know, I remember counseling, um, some years ago, a brother who had married a sister with, you know, from a previous, you know, situation, had children from a previous situation. And, um... And then uh, the the stepfather wanted to, you know, take the boys to the masjid and things like that. And the mother didn't feel comfortable with that. Right. The mother was like, no, I don't want you to take my kids to the masjid. So he kind of got in his feelings like, well, what did you marry me for? You married me, you know, so I can come in and provide structure and take the kids to the masjid and, you know, help the boys out. Yeah, but that takes time. That takes time a woman is not just going to you know relinquish full authority to you as a stepfather especially if they come from a situation where it was trauma it was drama that she's not going to release full authority to you because you are now the stepfather so you know even with myself with with my you know bonus children when i first married my you know my wife you know she you know they didn't want to go anywhere with me and i didn't force that hey you guys want to go to the mall no they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel comfortable. And I'm, it's not for me to force that. It's not for me to say, well, I'm your husband. You married me and you have boys and I, they need to go to the masjid with me because we, we need to pray in the masjid. OK, well, what if they say they don't feel comfortable with you? They don't really know you like that. Right. The children are still processing. You are not their biological father. And this right. You are a legal stranger in their life. But you are not their biological, and this is especially true if the biological father is still involved in their life, All right, And then, uh, yeah, you have men who try to force their children to move to a certain place, I'm moving here, and I'm taking my kids with me, and it's just like, it's a a real insensitivity, man, a real insensitivity. And this is where Islam, Quran, and Sunnah has absolutely nothing to do with how we conduct our affairs, man. All right. So that is the 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 one thing. So not yes, some people who have children from a previous marriage come with drama and baggage, but not everybody. And even you know, the, those whom, you know, come into the relationship and they have, you know, uh, ex that is to be anticipated. That is to be expected. It's to be expected. But we're dealing with men today that are not really men. It's like you want a smooth ride, you just want to marry this woman, you don't want to deal, you have to deal with another man. (laughs) You marry a woman with children and and the biological father is still around, at some point you're going to have to come face to face with that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to get violent, doesn't necessarily mean that it has to get physical, but you are going to have to be a man. You are going to have to stand in your space. I mean that's that's just what it is. <laughs> if you see value in a woman, why not you know take that risk? Why not take that risk? All right. Um. So what if you are a step parent and the ex always has a, an issue with every little thing that you do with the kids? So uh, step back to respect the mother, but the husband's uh, ch- the the intricacies or the the details that you guys are looking for that has to be provided to you through counseling this is not a counseling session i would not be able i we would take up too much time trying to deal with each and every individual situation or what if a spouse is this and what if that 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 has to be solved through third-party intervention on a personal level, not on a public sphere, on a public platform like this. That's what we would never be able to get to the bottom because every solution I would give you, you would say, well, what if this? Or what if that? And we'll spend all of our time talking about that. That is something that has to be dealt with on a personal note, all right? On a personal note, all right? Um, So what I'm trying to do is crush the stereotypes. The stereotypes, not everybody that comes Uh, goes into a marriage with someone who has children, you know, that they're going to bring drama into your relationship. And even if they do bring drama into your relationship, it's only a challenge for you. If you are a woman and you marry a man who has children from a previous relationship and the, the mother of those children, the biological mother trying to micromanage everything, that is her way of, you know, reacting to the fact that she's losing control over the situation. All right, that, that's just normal. That could happen in any type of situation, it could happen with a previous ex, it doesn't necessarily have to be children involved, right? It, it these are things that happen. So, I'm what I'm saying is, I don't want people to say, Well, I don't want to marry someone who has children because people who have children bring drama, right? I don't want to deal with the baby mama, baby daddy, a uh, co parent. Drama, all right, and while that may be you know, while that may be true, you don't want to deal with that, but at the same token, uh, it doesn't always have to be drama, sometimes uh, you know, it could be, um, you know, just an uphill, you know, challenge. And once we get to a certain place where we've matured or whatever, you got to think, you know, these two people that separated, and then you kind of come in between that and marry the person. Are, we're, all three of you are growing in that situation. And some people just never grow. And the other two are growing. And some people, you know, that's just, a, that's just the way that it goes. All right. Um, the next stereotype I want to deal with is the angry black woman. All right. If you guys listen to the um, audio that I uploaded last night, uh, we dealt with a lot of, you know, stereotypes. We didn't have a chance to go into a lot of detail. Um, but what I want to deal with now, after dealing with the stereotype related to marrying someone with children, I want to deal with the whole angry black woman, right? The non-compliant angry black woman stereotype. And this is something that if you're not paying attention, that is uh, slowly creeping into our communities. Not slowly, but There. You have a lot of Muslim men right now who um, opt to marry, you know, um, Moroccan women. With all due respect to the brothers who've, you know, chosen that path, I'm I'm not blaming them, but I am blaming the stereotypes that have driven them to do that, and the stereotype that is surrounding African American Muslim women is that they are angry, that they are broken, that they are uh, somehow, you know, um, irreparable right irreparable damage has been done to them and each and every relationship they go go into they bring their baggage with them um that they're non-compliant that they're disobedient they don't know how to obey their husbands all right this is the this is the stigma this is the stereotype all right i want you guys to pay attention to this even for the brothers i want you guys to look at how we feed into these stereotypes so now, one brother goes to Morocco, he marries a Moroccan sister, because that seems like that's that's the, the big thing now. I'm going to Morocco to get married. So you have a lot of brothers that are, you know, opting to marry outside of their culture. And if you decide to marry outside of your culture, like I said, if that's just a personal preference, cool. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. The Prophet ﷺ, um, he married woman, women outside of his culture he he married sophia who was a jewish woman that was completely outside of his culture <laughs> the prophet sallallahu was qurayshi from Beni hashem <laughs> meki qurayshi right <laughs> right pure <laughs> pure arab and he marries a woman that comes from you know a jewish tribe that lived in medina right Beni nadir sophia all right um Married outside of his, his tribe, married outside, not just married outside of his tribe, married outside of his culture, <laughs> married outside of his culture. So I'm not saying that men who choose to marry outside of their culture is um, you know something, something wrong. Yes, um, um, Soda, right? He married Soda completely outside of his culture. All right. So I'm not saying that men who choose to marry outside of their culture that there's anything wrong with that. If that's your personal preference. But if your personal preference is rooted in stereotypes that have marginalized women from your culture, then yes, I do have a problem with that. Because when you say, oh, I'm not marrying any more African-American sisters, and you have sisters who have said the same thing. I've come across sisters who, just as recently as a couple of months ago, Brother Shadid, you know any brothers? I don't want any African-American brothers. And I mean that's your personal preference. But if your personal preference is rooted in a stereotype that has been, you know, created that has been exaggerated in our communities, that I have a problem with, because now we're going to allow that to control the narrative. So now all African American men, Muslim men, are horrible. None of them take care of their their, their children. All of them divorce their women. All of them. <laughs> None of them are are good men. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. Because I know tons of brothers who have been married for years and that are great fathers to their children, right? I I know tons of brothers who have been married. You know, not all African-American Muslim men are looking for second wives and third wives. All right, not not everybody. I've come across brothers who, you know, polygyny is the furthest thing from their mind, so you you know like for us to create the stereotype and then to root our preferences in that stereotype that i have a problem with and that is what i'm trying to debunk that is what i'm trying to remove all right but you have many sisters who do not want to marry any brother who's an african-american they opt for white hispanic anything other than black (laughs) I don't want no black brothers. I don't want no African-American brothers, you know, anything other than that. And of course, then the light-skinned brothers, they get a pass. <laughs> the light-skinned brothers get a pass. If he's light-skinned and he has curly hair, you know, he has, you know, he has that light-skinned privilege, right? light skin is always given a privilege, all right? Because it's close to white. I- I'm just stating facts, man. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just stating the facts. That's just how it is. And the same thing for sisters, a brother will say, "Well, you know, I'm not marrying no more African American sisters." Okay, why? Oh, because they they're non-compliant, they're disobedient, they got mouth. Uh, well, all women have mouth. <laughs> I mean, you think you're going to marry a Moroccan sister, and at some point in her marriage with you, she's not going to get angry or upset? Adult women are extremely jealous. The Prophet had preferences as it relates to who he would marry and who he wouldn't marry. The Prophet sallallahu was asked, min al-Ansar?" Will you marry a woman from the Ansar? And the Prophet sallallahu said, "La, I will never marry a woman from the Ansar." And when he was asked why, he said because ashadd ghira, these women are extremely jealous. Right? Extremely jealous. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi had a preference, but his preference wasn't rooted in a stereotype. His preference was rooted in information facts that he knew that he couldn't handle. So if a man says I don't want to be married to an African American, you know, sister because, you know, uh, for whatever, and he has his reasons, but the reasons are not necessarily rooted in a the stereotype, they're rooted in facts. Most of the time it's brothers that are uh that are messing up. So of course the sisters will have attitudes. Uh, even if the brothers are good brothers, some women just I mean, like, from our history, our past, a lot of it is rooted in our upbringing. A lot of our, you know, behavioral challenges are rooted in our upbringing. It doesn't necessarily have to do with brothers messing up or brothers, you know, I mean, like, who's going to be in a marriage and not make mistakes? Every marriage is going to have, you know what I mean, a, a bag full of mistakes in it, you know what I mean? Um... But at the same token, um, to say that all African-American sisters are disobedient. And what does it mean? What do, what do we mean when we say disobedient? What, what is, because what is, what is, that's, a, that's a, a phrase that, you know, I, I have yet to, you know, get someone to define for me. What does it mean that African-American women sisters are disobedient? Right? Right. They don't jump on one foot when you say jump on one foot. They don't just accept everything that you say, you know, without questioning you. Uh, I mean, is that is that what the word obey your husband actually means? Is that what is uh, is is meant by obey your husband? <laughs> is that what is, is, uh, what's meant? I, I'm just curious. I want brothers to please explain it to me. B- break it down for me because I, I just... <laughs> I, I would like to know because if that's the the definition of she's non-compliant or she's disobedient or she has mouth, then please tell me what woman in any culture doesn't have that. The Prophet ﷺ described the woman as being created from a rib, right? He said, <laughs> That the woman is created from the rib. <laughs> that the most curved part of the rib is the top part, meaning her tongue. He said that if you are going to draw any benefit from your woman, you're going to draw benefit from her by leaving her exactly as she is. Some women are mouthy. Some women are non-compliant in certain regards in that, you know, they're not going to just go with everything that you say. I, I'm, I'm just really trying to figure this out. This is and this is what I'm talking about. And brothers will sit in conversations with other brothers and co-sign that nonsense. Oh, I was just I just had to divorce this bent. I just had to divorce this sister, man. She's just all over the place. Just mad, disrespectful, mad, disobedient. And it's like, but um, how is she disobedient? Well, I told her to stop listening to Shadi Muhammad and <laughs> You gotta be kidding me, man! You know, you gonna divorce your wife because you told her to stop listening to somebody, stop taking knowledge from somebody, right? Uh, this is a real fact. I'm I'm laughing because I'm laughing at the absurdity. I'm laughing at the absurdity, not at the reality, because that is a real thing. I'm just I'm just being sarcastic here, but that's a real thing. That their sisters had been divorced. That I know of personally have been divorced for refusing to obey their husband when they tell them don't listen to this person or don't take knowledge from this person. Meanwhile, you don't teach your wife anything. You don't teach her anything. If you're going to say, don't listen to this brother, don't listen to that brother, then at least be able to fill that void and say, well, I'll teach you what you're looking for from that brother or that sister, (laughs) right? Fill the void, but don't just create the void and then just leave it there empty to be filled with nothing, right? Right, because she's not a blind follower, because she thinks for herself. So what I'm getting from this whole idea of African American Muslim women are disobedient is because um, number one, they're you know they're not blind followers. Number two, you know, she thinks for herself, right? Because when we say obedience, that's a willful compliance. I don't like to use the word obedience, I like to use willful compliance that a woman chooses to comply. If a woman has a choice to be obedient to Allah or not be obedient to Allah, then mimbabi ola, then of course as it relates to her husband, anyone less than God, she has an option to either comply with your demands or your requests or not comply. This whole idea of obedience, be obedient to me, do what I tell you to do without questioning me. I mean like like uh, do we do does that even exist during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu with the Prophet's wives did that same definition of obedience, strict adherence to someone's you know commands without questioning, do we find that even with the wives of the Prophet? Wa Absolutely not. How many times did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi on many occasions tell Aisha to do something that Aisha questioned him about it? Right when she told the when the Prophet told Aisha to go tell Abu Bakr to lead the salat. And Aisha was like, But Abu Bakr cries too much. And when he leads the salat, you know, we can't hear what he's reciting. Let Umar lead the Salat. And the Prophet said, Go tell Abu Bakr to lead the salat. There there was there was a back and forth there on many occasions. And this was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? The narration, which is da'if, which is weak, but the narration where one of the Sahaba went to um, the house of Umar bin al-Khattab to complain about his wife, and he knocked on the door, and he can overhear Umar's wife shouting at him. And then as he began to walk away, Umar comes to the door, and Umar said, you know, what do you want? And he said, well, I came to you to complain to you about my wife. But I overheard the wife of Umar al Khattab yelling at him on the other side of the door. So I walked away because I felt like, well, who am I to go to Umar and complain about my wife when I get to the house of Umar and Umar's wife is yelling at him? You know, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? So this whole idea of just this complete compliance, you know, without any, you, you know, like where does that exist? is that even real so we are creating stereotypes that are not even rooted in reality and now we're marrying women from other cultures based upon stereotypes african-american women are non-compliant are disobedient they don't obey their husbands they're disrespectful so what, what 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 constitutes disrespect and men, I'm I'm asking Muslim men, I'm asking Muslim men, I'm appealing to Muslim men. Now, when you're in a conversation with men and you hear them make comments like this, don't be afraid to be the oddball and say, no, wait a minute, explain to me what that means. Because some of us are afraid to challenge that in front of other men, we're afraid to speak our truth in front of other men. We just nod in agreement, and instead of saying, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute," you're saying that all African American women are disobedient and disrespectful to their husbands. Please explain that to me, because I'm married to an African American woman, and I'm not, you know, I'm not experiencing that. That's not my. That's not my experience. Well, you're an exception to No, I'm not an exception to the rule. I'm a man just like anybody else, and I'm married to a woman just like any other woman. I'm not a there's no one that's an exception to the rule. The Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam went through it with his own wives. Don't you recall that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam boycotted his wives for a whole month? <laughs> Some of us have never done that to our wives and have tolerated much disrespect from them. But have never gone to that extent to boycott them outside of the home. He stayed in a little compartment in the masjid. A little hujr. A little little room in the masjid. And did not go home to his wives and sleep with them or whatever the case may be. And he didn't. For an entire month. None of us probably have ever gone that far or have gone to that extent. So it's showing you how... how much, you know, pain the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was in dealing with them. All right. And he wasn't dealing with, uh, you know, he wasn't the pain that he wasn't dealing with. The pain that he was dealing with wasn't from just a lack of compliance and disrespect. You know, they were just kind of bugging him about the dunya, asking for more of the worldly matters or whatever the case may be, causing him to compromise his mission. And so he had to just kind of take some time away from them. But, you know... (laughs) Is there any man, right? Is there any man that is, you know, safe from that? Do you think by marrying an Arab woman that you're somehow escaping going through that? That I'm going to marry an Arab woman and I'm not going to have to go through the disrespect. And maybe you don't have to go through the disrespect. But guess what you're going to have to go through? You're going to have to go through racism. The parents not liking you. The grandparents not liking you. Uh, God forbid your children come out, you know, a darker hue. Right then, you got to deal with that as well. All right, <laughs> I mean, like, there's there's tons of other things that you got to deal. So you you would actually degrade yourself and demean your entire culture to marry outside of your culture just so you don't have to deal with the disrespect of a black woman, but you'll deal with racism from the, your children's grandparents. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't I don't understand how that works. I'm I'm just really confused here, All right? Right. Sisters can be uh, other sisters own worst enemies and uh, sisters criticize other sisters and ostracize those who speak out against their issues. It is what it is. That comes with the territory. People just don't let people have a dislike for truth. It's not you personally. Don't take it personal. The moment you step out, you know, on your own and you begin to speak truth into the world that is, you know, inundated by falsehood. You know, what I mean, like that just comes with the territory. It's like trying to wake somebody up who's in a deep sleep. They're going to wake up and start swinging at you. And that's exactly what you do when you start speaking truth in a world that is inundated by falsehood. We love being lied to. We love liars, which is why towards the last days we will embrace the Dajjal who will appear with You know, one eye hanging out his head, his hair disheveled all over the place, short, stocky. I mean, like, even if, you know, you don't even look like a god, like something or someone who could be a god, right? He has the most distasteful figure known to any human being, and he will walk up and say he's God, and people will embrace him as God. You don't even look like God, or someone who could be a God, if a God could take a human form. You understand? What did they say about Yusuf alayhi salam? When Yusuf was so handsome, when they when Yusuf walked in front of the women, Yus, they said of Yusuf Mahada Basharan, inhada illumikun kirim. They said, This is no human being, this is nothing more than a noble angel. You understand? Because of his outward, his physical appearance. So if there was a such thing as a God taking a human form, why would he come in the form of what the Dajjal was described to us? And nonetheless, this creature will walk in front of people and say, I'm God and people will embrace him as God simply because we love to be lied to. We love a lie. And so when you jump out there and you start speaking truth into a world that has wrapped itself and it has breastfed itself on pure falsehood, then you got to expect that people are going to attack you you know don't take it personal the prophet never take he never took it personal sometimes you got to defend yourself obviously but you know don't, don't take it personal it's not you that they hate it's your truth it's not you that they hate it's your truth <laughs> right so uh it's, it's not this whole idea of the black woman is angry and non-compliant, you know, it's, it's, it's a stereotype. It's not real. Are, what about the tons of brothers who are married to African-American sisters and who are happily married? And yes, they go through the normal bouts of arguing and disagreements and things like that. That's normal in every relationship. And it just seems like men who marry women from other cultures due to these stereotypes that they have exacerbated and they have exaggerated a lot of these feelings and emotions and perhaps they were raised by single mothers you know perhaps perhaps they were raised by single mothers Uh, and as a result of being raised by a single mother they have very low tolerance for pain (laughs) whether emotional or otherwise Whether emotional, I mean, think about a a man who was raised by a single mother. He has very low tolerance for pain. The mother coddled him, you know what I mean? And every little thing rubs him the wrong way. Every little infraction, every little thing sets him off, right? And it's, it's not the woman itself. Maybe you need to check you. Maybe you need to look at you. Maybe it's not the black woman who's non-compliant and disobedient and you know doesn't listen. Maybe maybe it's not her. Maybe it's she's normal. She is she's a woman. That's who she is. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you and you opt to marry outside of your culture because you believe that that's, you know, it's 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 is palatable, right? It's palatable. It's easier, right? All the more reason uh, men need to marry single sisters with children. Uh, We are raising the future generation of husbands for your daughters. Yeah, that's in a perfect world. Yeah, that would be perfect. But we're not. These men are not thinking like that. They're not forward thinkers. They're not thinking in terms of these women that have all of these children, have these daughters. These daughters are going to be our sons' future wives. You know what I mean? They're not thinking like that. So let's marry these women and let's take care of them. That's in a perfect world that we don't we don't live in that world. All right. So, no, all black women are not angry. All black women are not. And then we got to think about the ones that are angry, the ones that are disgruntled, the ones that are bitter or whatever the case may be. Nine times out of 10, we were the ones who did it to them. Nine times out of 10, the same bitterness that, you know, uh, that we find in women, we find to be so intolerable in women, we have to think about what role did we play in that? It's, it's just, we're just recycling pain throughout our communities, we are recycling pain throughout our communities. So one brother comes, he gets this woman pregnant, has multiple children by her, discards her, move on to the next woman. And then here you come, you looking for a decent relationship. You run into this woman. Now you got to deal with the residual pain and trauma that she just experienced from being married. to, And then we divorce her or we discard her, dis, you know, discard her and marry someone. And then the pain is just it's just being recycled throughout our entire community. The pain is being recycled, redistributed, repackaged, redistributed throughout our communities. So the last thing that I want to deal with uh, is and I mean, there's more that can be said about this topic. But if like I said, if men are marrying women or women are marrying men from other cultures other than their own, because that is your personal preference then there's nothing wrong with that. The Prophet ﷺ had personal preferences, right? He didn't want to marry any of the women from the Ansar. And and then he didn't marry any woman from the Ansar. Out of all, and I mean he migrated to Medina, the Ansar welcomed him and you would have thought that the Ansar welcoming him into Medina that he would have at least married one of the women in Medina. And the whole 10 years that he was in Medina, he skipped right over all of the women that were in Medina, never married any woman from Medina, never. All of the women that he married were either from Mecca or outside of Arab culture. Or outside of their immediate uh, hijaz culture, <laughs> Juhaida, Sophia, These were women that were outside of that particular uh, diaspora. But all of the women that he married were from Mecca or outside of. He never married any of the women from Medina. And I mean, like you got to think about it. I'm I'm sure a lot of the women from Medina were were waiting. Like, well, which one of us is he going to marry? And the whole 10 years that he was in Medina, he didn't marry any of them. So you can only imagine how that impacted them. Because I'm sure one of them were waiting to see which one is he going to marry from Medina, so that you know that would give Medina that sharaf, that honor, right? That he married one of the women from Medina. You know what I mean? But he didn't. So he had his personal preference. So personal preference, there's nothing wrong with that. So if you marry outside of your culture because it's a personal preference of yours and those personal preferences are not rooted in stereotypes, then alhamdulillah, not a problem. My issue is with people who marry outside of their culture based upon the stereotypes that are created for their culture. This whole idea that, you know, black women are disobedient, disrespectful, right? Yeah, the Prophet had a type, of course. Aisha said when she saw Juwaria, she knew immediately when she saw Juwaria, she said she knew that when the Prophet saw Juwaria, he was going to want to marry her. So, yeah, the Prophet had a type, absolutely. He had a type. So, I'm not taking issue with people who marry outside of your culture. Wherever you choose to find love, that's not for me to decide. That's why I wrote the book, The Revolution of Love. Right. And although the book is, you know, centered around the issue of polygyny, the book is not all about polygyny. It's about marriage in general. The revolution of love that no one has a right to decide where you find love. If you find love in another culture, you find love marrying someone outside of your own, you know, immediate culture. I don't have an issue with that. But what I have an issue with is men and women who marry people outside of their culture, based upon the stereotypes that have defined uh, uh, their choices, defined their 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 um their preferences. You have sisters who do it too. They don't want to marry nobody that's black, right? Because you ha- because your mom or you know your sister or someone Had a horrible experience with an African-American So now all black men All African-American men are horrible Muslim men are horrible It's just like, come on man Alright The last thing that I want to deal with um, From uh, these stereotypes Is um, this whole idea And I spoke about it before That um, hyper-masculinity and how men sometimes think that uh, marrying, uh, getting married is going to stop the desire to commit fornication or adultery. All right, So we say, I want to get married so that I can save myself from the hellfire. But then you get married and you're still subjecting yourself to the hellfire. Hypermasculinity. This is um a probably a more palatable a more digestible term um, than um toxic masculinity. Hypermasculinity. And hypermasculinity is, you know, this whole male chauvinistic mentality Um, This toxic patriarchy where I am the man and I am in control and I have all the say, whatever the case may be. Um, Hypermasculinity and hypermasculinity sometimes stem from our childhood. Here again, that that whole single mother, you know, um, male child being raised by the single mother. Uh, Hypermasculinity can also be um, ignited through watching things like porn right where you're watching the man in many instances be dominant in a very sexual way all right so you tend to think that as a man that that is how you are supposed to function uh in relationships with women all right this hyper masculinity in in the muslim community where you know I'm I, I, because I'm a man, I'm automatically qualified for polygyny. So I'm gonna marry this woman. I, I've encountered situations where brothers got married and wanted to marry two women at the same time. Like you, you, you're having two nikahs on the same day. MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. You're gonna have two nikahs on the same day. You're gonna marry this woman, all right? And then you're gonna marry this woman and you're gonna marry both of them, right? If that's not hyper masculinity, I, I don't know what is. Because there was no man that was more masculine than Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi and he never did anything remotely close to that. <laughs> remotely close to that. Um hypermasculinity can also be as a result of suppression, right? You've suppressed your masculinity for so long that you know now that you've converted to Islam and now that you are a Muslim, um and Islam kind of gives you this, you know, patriarchal footing. You know, where you have some level of authority and we begin to abuse that. We abuse that. All right. And um, sometimes we think that uh, I'm going to get married and getting married is going to help me not commit fornication. And marriage does not stop you from committing fornication or adultery. Let, Let me just say that. Let me put this disclaimer out there for all of the men who say I'm going to get married because I don't want to commit zina. Or the women who say I'm going to get married uh because I don't want to fornicate. I don't want to, you know, commit zina. Marriage does not stop you from committing zina. All right? Marriage does not tame that. Because your desire to commit zina, fornication and adultery, where does that come from? Does that come from just not having a partner, not having a, you know, someone to have sex with? Or is, it, is the problem deeper rooted than that? The problem is deeper than that. The problem is not just you are afraid that because I'm not married, I'm going to go commit fornication. Because there are tons of Muslims who are single who don't have that problem, don't struggle with committing fornication. They don't wake up in the morning. I need to hurry up and get married because I fear at any moment, you know, I'm going to fall into, you know, some, some someone sexually, right? Because in order for you to even make that happen, in order for you to end up in, in the bed with someone naked without any clothes on, as a Muslim, there's a process to that. You don't just wake up and see a woman or see a man and just fall into bed with them. There's a conversation, right? There, there There's the look. There's the conversation, you know, there's the secret meeting, meeting with each other. You know, there's there's boundary. There's, there's barriers that you have to get past before you get to the point where she's taking off her garment or taking off her clothes and he's taking off his clothes and they end up in a situation. All right. There's a process to that. And Shaitan is very good with walking you through that process. So this whole idea, right? Um, that i'm I'm afraid to you know i don't want to commit fornication and adultery, um so let me hurry up and get married, and then you find yourself in another problem because you only married the person because you wanted to avoid committing fornication and adultery you 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 follow me like you were trying to run from one problem and you fell into another problem. you were running from fornication and adultery, and instead of doing it the organic way by working on the main function of your body that causes you to fall into fornication and adultery whether married or unmarried which is your heart has nothing to do with your private part has nothing to do with your private part you could be married and still commit adultery so if marriage saves people from fornication and adultery then what about those who are married who still commit adultery question if marriage saves people from fornication and adultery, then what about the people who you know are married and still commit adultery? Meaning that fornication that marriage is not the solution to that. The Prophet ﷺ said oh young men any from amongst you who has the ability to get married and let him do so because this is more likely to help you lower your gaze للفرج, and to guard your chastity he didn't say it will it will guard your chastity or it will make you lower your lower your gaze he said it is more likely that it will help you to do that and that is provided you have a sound heart you have a pure heart the Prophet wasallam also said that indeed in the body there's a lump of flesh. That if that lump of flesh is sound, if it's healthy, then the rest of the body will be sound and healthy. And if it is corrupt and unhealthy, then the rest of the body will be corrupt and unhealthy. And indeed, that lump of flesh is the heart. It's the heart, not the private part. I I, I hope that we understand that. I just you know this whole idea that I'm going to get married right so I can. Stop committing fornication so I could avoid falling into fornication or adultery. It's a farce because when you do that, you run into another problem. What's the other problem that you run into when you do that? When you say, I want to marry, I want to hurry up and get married so that I don't commit fornication. The people in Philly are not listening to this. Please. (laughs) Said, I hope the people in Philly is listening to this. They're not listening. The only people that are listening to this are the people who really value themselves and value their religion i'm not saying everybody in philly doesn't i'm not saying that i'm just saying that they have a different they have a different dynamic the people that are listening are the people who value themselves and value their religion people whether in philly or in other places they avoid conversations like this you know why because ignorance is bliss ignorance is bliss. As long as I'm not listening to information like this, I don't have to challenge myself. I don't, I don't have to challenge myself. I can still be ignorant and live on the hopes that Allah will forgive me for my ignorance. Because if you start listening to stuff like this, now it creates an internal conflict. Because the way you are living is wrong, and the information that you are receiving is going against the way that you the entire way that you have set your entire life up. And so therefore, it's going to create a problem for you. So rather than walking around with you know with, with this problem, I'd just rather be ignorant. I would rather go listen to somebody else who's gonna placate my feelings and you know teach me about you know some other trivial matter of the religion where I can still be ignorant to these things. You understand? You know, it it doesn't whether in Philly or in in any other place, you know, people just enjoy being ignorant because they believe that with ignorance, there is no accountability because I can always say that I was ignorant. I didn't know any better. Right. They can always say that I was ignorant. I didn't know any better. And they'll they'll rely on that. Right. Some people don't want to know because they don't want to change. Absolutely. That is a fact. And there are some imams who preach Islam in a way that makes it easy for people not to change. They promote Islam in a way that it makes it easy for people not to change. Or to change at such a slow pace, right, that we'll all be dead and gone before you even take the first step towards change, <laughs> They promote Islam in such a way that change is so incremental that you'll probably be dead before you take the first step to actually changing. In their mind, they believe that being ignorant is an excuse. In their mind, they believe. So anyway, this whole idea that I'm going to get married and once I get married is going to protect me from marriage is not a protection from Zina. Marriage is not a protection from, uh, Zina. Marriage is a protection, um, uh, marriage is not a protection literally from anything, to be honest with you. Your heart is the protection from Zina. Because whether you're married or you're not married, if your heart isn't, in, is, is in order, you're not gonna go close to it anyway. You're not gonna go close to it anyway. Zina, fornication and adultery is never an option for you, whether you're married or you're not married. Understand, And so back to my initial question, what is the danger in a person saying I'm going to get married so that I don't commit fornication? What is the danger in that? You're running away from one thing, but you're falling into something that is equally despicable. What is what is the problem when someone says I'm going to get married so I don't commit fornication or adultery? What is the problem the person runs into by doing that, by saying that? Is that you only, the person that you marry, you're exploiting them. Now, the marriage might be authentic, but the person, you don't see the person in the marriage. You don't see the other person. So you're exploiting them for what you want. Right, They're all, it's all about you. Thank you. There you go. It's all about you. So I'm going to marry this person because I want to save myself from the hellfire. I want to save myself from committing fornication and adultery. So love is not, a, is not necessarily a factor, right? It's all about what you want from the individual. So it becomes exploitation. You are objectification, right? You are objectifying this person. This person now becomes an object to you. And we can see through the marriages how this plays out. You can see how that plays out where the person, the other person is being objectified in the marriage. We can see how that plays out. Look at how they're treating each other. And then we use this binary of halal and haram to legitimize that. So, oh, you're not giving me my rights because you don't see that person as a person, as a human being with some of the same fears, apprehensions. You don't see any of that. All you see that person is my ticket to jannah. You are my ticket to jannah. I'm going to use you to get to jannah. I'm going to use you so that I don't go out here and commit fornication and adultery. And how do I continue to use you? Because you might want more from the relationship. You understand? You want you want love for the relation from the relationship. And that's not to say that love can't build as, you know, as time goes on. But as Umar رضي الله عنه, he said, uh, um, قَلَّ uh, uh, الزَّوَاج يُبْنَى عَلَى حُبْ That it is very rare that marriages are based upon love. <laughs> Umar رضي الله عنه, he said, that it is very rare that... That marriage is based upon... It is very rare that marriage is built upon love. People get married for different reasons. People get married for money, financial stability. People get married for children. <laughs> Make no mistake about that. People get married because the only thing they want from you is children. <laughs> that's it. And that's a fact, even in the Islamic community. And if your attentions are impure... Then yes, it will expose itself in in the form of the, the way that you objectify the person for the reason that you married the person initially. It will expose itself. So I'm not saying that there are some marriages that, yeah, I want to save myself from the hellfire, and then throughout that marriage, love begins to develop. But that's rare because it's very rare that marriages are built upon love. Very rare. Marriages are sometimes business deals, right? Business deal. Married this person for financial stability. I married this person because I wanted children. I married this person because, you know, she's beautiful or he's handsome. And, and I just need somebody to validate me, right? I don't feel comfortable with myself. I'm very insecure about myself. So I'm going to marry someone that's extremely beautiful to validate me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Men, we call them trophy, trophy wives, trophy wives. Absolutely. Make no mistake, and it goes on in the Islamic community as well. Many women are married at the beginning of their marriage for financial stability. The the man that they married, that wasn't their preference. (laughs) That wasn't their preference. But he had money, so I'm looking for the financial stability. Uh, Many women married into polygyny, (laughs) Knowing damn well if they had an option, they wouldn't have chose polygyny. But they married into polygyny because they were tired of being single. Or they married into polygyny because they believed that they could control that situation more than being married in a situation that was monogamous. Absolutely. It, it happens. Please, man. I, I I could talk about that all day long. It happens. It's real. We're dealing with human beings we're Muslim, but we're still human. We still have fears. We still have anxieties. We still have all of these things that drive us to go into situations that we believe is going to be more comforting for us. We marry people because, not because we're in love with them or because we think that we're going to be in love with them, but because I like the per- way the person looks and I want to have children with that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It happens. We're human. Don't be surprised like when when I'm mentioning things <laughs> do I think that that is wrong um yes I do because unless you are being transparent with the person I mean obviously you're not going to tell someone hey I'm only marrying you because I'm really insecure deep down inside and you are extremely gorgeous you're extremely beautiful you're extremely happy and I think that by being married to you it would increase my you know <laughs> you know my security myself you know, awareness, my self security. Nobody's going to come out and tell you that because then you wouldn't marry them. Right. But no, but there are people who do that. There are people who do that. They feel completely insecure and they're going to marry the most extremely gorgeous and beautiful person um, because they need to feel better about themselves. Absolutely. But nobody's going to come out and tell you that. Nobody's going to tell you that I'm marrying you because, you know, you're light skin. you have beautiful complexion, and, you know, you have, not to say that darker skin is not beautiful, but in the mind of that person, I want my children to look a certain way, so I know in order for my children to look a certain way, I need to marry someone that looks the way that I want my children to come out looking, right? And I marry that person. You're not going to come out to the table and say, hey, I'm only marrying you because you're light-skinned and you have long, kinky hair, and that's the way that I want my children to look. I don't want my children to look like me. I don't want my children to look like my mother or my father. I want my children to look more like you. Nobody's going to come out and say that. So is it wrong? Yes. Because there's no transparency there The other person is just coming in Willy nilly just want to be in love Really love you, your personality And meanwhile you just like well, I just want from this person what I want from them That's not to say that you know Love cannot develop But as Omar said <laughs> That it is very rare That marriages are based upon love That's a fact We might develop Love later on But at the beginning, how many of us were actually in love with the person that we are? I'm just, I just want us to be honest. The transparency is what we are lacking. And transparency starting with yourself. I'm not going to marry someone because I want this from you or I want to I marry someone because I know what I can offer, and I hope that what I'm offering this person in this marriage is going to help our marriage grow, going to help us to create a beautiful you know union, a cohesive, you know healthy, happy union. You know what I mean? But transparency would make you respect it more. Transparency is part of our religion. The Prophet was Wasallam was in the marketplace one day and he saw a man selling apples, right? Selling fruit in a in a wagon. And the Prophet noticed that all of the fruit on the top of the wagon on the on the on the top part were were nice looking and like none of the fruits on the top is spoiled. <laughs> It looks weird, and this it, it just shows you how deep of a thinker the Prophet Sallallahu was. He's just walking through the marketplace, and he sees a guy selling fruit on a wagon, and he sees all the fruit on the top, like really perfect. And so the Prophet Sallallahu walked over to the wagon and stuck his hand down all the way to the bottom of the wagon, and he felt like all of the spoiled fruit on the bottom. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, "Halla jal'tha f- uh, Why don't you put the spoiled fruit on the top So people can see exactly what they're buying He said He who deceives us is not from amongst us Meaning the person that deceives another person To get what they want out of them That behavior has nothing to do with Islam And we do it all the time Even in something as serious and as delicate as marriage we are masters, we are masters of deception. That hadith points to the importance of transparency. He stuck his hand to the bottom of the fruit and he said, why don't you put the spoiled fruit on top? Because if you have a, a fruit wagon and you have all your fruit there and you have some spoiled, some good, or whatever the case may be, some you know in the middle, people can see the transparency. But when you walk over to a wagon and all you see is the the good fruit on the top, there's something something wrong with that. And that should be something greater that we can take away from this. And that is that when you're sitting down at the table with someone and they seem almost like they're too perfect, nine times out of ten, they are too perfect. (laughs) You understand? Whenever somebody comes off too perfect, know that something is wrong. Because that's the concept that we get from this. The Prophet looked at the fruit basket and he's like, There's no way that every single fruit in that basket, in that on top of that cart, not all the fruits in that basket is 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 as perfect as the ones that are on top. I'm almost positive. Because if you are you're a farmer, you're growing fruits and vegetables, obviously you're gonna have some that get spoiled. <laughs> that that's normal. <laughs> all of your fruit is is perfect. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) So the prophet walks over, sticks his hand in the bottom like, oh, okay. So all of the spoiled fruit is at the bottom. So when a person comes to your cart and they want to buy a basket of apples, all they see is what is on the top. And so you sell them the basket based upon what's on the top. And then when they get home and take all the fruit out of the basket, they realize that the only three or four apples that was on the top was good. Everything else at the bottom was spoiled. Sound familiar with with our marriages? Does that sound familiar? It does, right? Come to the come to the sit-down, your your white thobe on, your your hijab on, and you, you don't even wear hijab. Like just show up to the sit-down like you normally dress. <laughs> just show up to the sit-down like you normally dress. Why put on a hijab? Why go buy a overgarment because you're about to have a sit down? Like that I don't understand that concept. Knowing damn well that you don't wear an overgarment on a regular basis. Why not allow the man to see you in your natural element? Transparency. But we don't we don't do that. We come to the sit down and we get the the best actor and actresses award. You know the 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 Oscar for the best actor and actress. We don't allow people to see us in our natural element, which is why when we marry the person, then it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, it's the same thing with the guy who buys the fruit and you get home and you take the top off and then you see the all the fruit at the bottom. Right. So it's important for us, you know, to to, to be transparent, you know, and to understand that, you know, if that's what you want to marry someone for, um, then you need to go back and look at yourself. If you're marrying someone simply because you don't want to commit zina, then you probably need to start with you, not with marrying someone. You understand? I I hope that clarifies a lot of the stereotypes. And my point, my my purpose in doing this is to give some context to the the recent episode uh, that was uploaded. These are some of the things that I spoke about in the beginning. Um, inshallah, ta'ala, and uh, on Wednesday we'll deal with a few more stereotypes. I hope uh, I did some justice in trying to clarify some of this stuff. Um, because I mean, just I just think that in the Muslim community, we just need to relearn a lot of the things that we were taught. We we need to we need to relearn a lot of the things that we were taught. The miseducation of the African American Muslim. The miseducation of the Negro Muslim, unfortunately. Um, I got time for maybe one question. One question, inshallah, before I finish. Uh, Any uh, questions preferably related to what we talked about? If not, inshallah, then uh, on Wednesday, uh, we will talk a little bit more, inshallah. Any uh, comments, questions about transparency? I mean, when you're listening to these discussions, take away, you know, have a pen, paper, something that you can write down your notes with so that you can take away certain things so that you can begin implementing them. You know, learning to be more transparent in our interactions with other people. All right. Um Understanding that you know the Prophet had his own preferences, but his preferences weren't rooted in stereotypes. His preferences were rooted in facts. Um, when you're being transparent, people complain that you're too transparent. Then possibly the people who complain that you are too trans—well, obviously everything is not for everybody. There, there's some people that you know you don't need to expose everything about yourself to. Um, and during the sit-down process, I think it's better to let the other person do most of the talking rather than you doing the most talking. Because the, the more you let a person talk, the more they're going to tell you everything that you need to know. So the uh, the objective in the sit-down process is to ask, keep asking questions, right? This is why, like, when you get, I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of being arrested, When you are arrested and the police are interrogating you, if you notice, they ask you the same question over and over and over again, like in different ways, because they're trying to get the real story out of you. Because if you are truthful in what you're saying, no matter how many times they ask you the question, no matter how many times they rephrase it, they're going to get the same response over and over again. And then they'll conclude from that point that you're actually telling the truth. So the objective during the sit-down process, uh, which is sort of like an interrogation, you know, is to ask questions, as many as you can, right? Just keep the person talking, keep them talking throughout the whole process. And there's some people that love to talk and that works in your favor, that works in your favor. So keep asking questions because the more you ask, the more the person is going to tell you and if you let a person talk long enough they'll lay their entire hand on the table and then you can decide whether or not this is for you or this is not uh these stereotypes are they related to marriage or in general uh i particularly wanted to talk about marriage how do you validate yourself when you are used to criticism um Number 1, stop taking the criticism personal because some criticism is is necessary, is constructive. Some criticisms are necessary. Like is there anyone that is, you know, above being criticized? Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala say, "Yeah, you had to be takillah. O prophet, fear Allah." This is Allah addressing the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to fear Allah. That that is constructive criticism. <laughs> Not that the Prophet wasn't fearing Allah, because sometimes when people criticize you, it's not that you're doing a bad job. It's just that this is some advice that I think is going to help you. So when Allah told the Prophet to fear Allah, it wasn't that he wasn't already fearing Allah. But it was encouragement to continue doing it. But that was constructive criticism. So, number one, you know, stop taking criticism personally. All right? And the reason why some people take criticism so personally is because you bask in, you know, the person's praise. So when people praise you, you take that personal. And then when people criticize you, you take it personal. Don't live in people's praises and therefore you won't die in their criticism. You just take what is necessary and you leave the rest. Sometimes criticism is necessary. Sometimes people criticize me and I go back and I say to myself, well, you know, well, am I like that? Do I actually do do that? Like, there's not a criticism that has been launched against me, whether realistic or unrealistic. Except that I took a moment out of my time to say, you know, does that actually really apply to me? Does that actually apply to me? Am, am I actually like this? All right? Umar radiallahu ta'ala, we used to have conversations with himself. Ya ibn Khattab, Oh, ibn al Khattab, you're either going to fear Allah or Allah is going to punish you. He was hard on himself. So, you know, stop taking criticism so personally, you know, and and be objective about it. Learn to laugh stuff off. You know, they have... I was thinking about actually doing this. Um, they actually have this thing where, like, celebrities, they, they get up and they uh, read, like, a lot of... I think Obama did it before some of the other stars. They do it. And they kind of read, like, stuff that people leave on their Twitter, leave on their, you know, Instagram pages. Like, you know, right, right. And and they make humor out of it. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny, honestly. <laughs> right i was actually thinking about doing that myself just open up the periscope one day because i take screenshots of pretty much everything right i take screenshots literally of pretty much everything so when somebody comes and leaves a shot take a shot at me or whatever i take a screenshot at it and and i just save it to my pictures you know and at some point you know i just kind of like look at it and you know i mean some some people say some really horrible things you know what i'm saying and um you know, sometimes you gotta laugh at that stuff, man. Like people just say like the the craziest stuff, man, and don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. I, I don't. I don't take stuff personal. I don't. If there's a if there is something that was said about me that was not true, then in that case I will defend my honor. But it's it's not personal. I don't take it personal, because believe it or not. Half of the people that is actually talking about you, they don't even know you. (laughs) You guys only know about me what I tell you. (laughs) You understand? None of you know me personally. None of you know me personally. We didn't grow up together. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, we we weren't family. We didn't grow up together. So, anything that you say about me is based upon your own perception. A perception that was given to you by me. (laughs) Because if I wasn't public, if I wasn't a public speaker, I didn't display certain aspects of my life in public. You wouldn't know anything about me. (laughs) So the only thing you know about me is what I tell you, what you perceive from the information that I give you. It's not I'm not. It's nothing personal. It's nothing personal. Uh, You guys have been great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. I will upload um, all of this information uh, later on today. Um, the audio of it, I will post it to the podcast and the video, inshallah ta'ala, I will post to, uh, my YouTube channel, which is www.roda R-A-W-D-A-H. Um, uh, and inshallah ta'ala on Wednesday, I will post a, a few more. So go back and listen to the, um, the episode that I just posted. Um, I believe the title of it was, um, stereotypes that, um, that create reservations about marriage. All right. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more inshallah about some of those stereotypes on Wednesday. And as you guys listen to this, like go back into your own circles, your Facebook pages and your pages and begin having conversations. That's the only way we're going to change this narrative. That's the only way we're going to change the narrative. We have to continue the conversation beyond your conversation with me this is just the start of the conversation and then you go back into your own circles your friends your constituents or whatever and you be you continue the conversation it's an extension of what we talked about today all right may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all wa ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa wa kathira wa akhiru da'wana wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh